Hello, everybody. I am Blaze Seifer, and this is the Seifer Scoop Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the fifth episode of the second Seifer Scoop season. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Kent Hughes to the podcast, Middlebury College Class of 1992. Kent was a four-year player on the hockey team while at Middlebury, setting program records in assists and points, which still stand today. For his efforts, he was inducted into the Middlebury Athletics Hall of Fame in 2020. After graduating from the college, Kent played a year of professional hockey in Sweden, but found a career as an NHL agent. Now, hear the scoop from Kent as he discusses his time as a student athlete at Middlebury, his short stint in Sweden and why he decided to become an agent, and what he loves about his current job. Okay, I am here with Kent Hughes, Middlebury College Class of 1992. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast, Kent. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Really excited to chat with you today about your time as a student athlete at Middlebury, which was super successful, um, your subsequent career as an NHL agent, and and everything in between. So to begin, hockey has, has played a huge role in your life um, from you know your time at Middlebury to what you're doing now. But how did you get into hockey? What, what are your roots in the sport? I mean, I grew up in Montreal. Hockey's like a religion for you know, Montreal, most of Canada. And, and uh, we grew up with a rink in the backyard at a young age. And, you know, I, I still think back, and I don't know if it's unique to to the area where we grew up, but every tennis court became a hockey rink in the winter, right? And the town would have a worker and a chalet so kids could get dressed. So hockey was kind of everywhere. And it would, you know, quickly became my passion along with, you know, my cousins, my brothers, and, and uh, it just grew from there. Nice. So Montreal, was was Middlebury a, a college that you had heard about, you know, in, in high school? How did it kind of pop on your radar and, and how did you end up getting interested in attending a, a school in Vermont? Really, I had never heard of Middlebury, even though it's close to, to Montreal, geographically speaking. Um, but I, I was recruited by uh, Bill Beanie and, and Wes Clark and, and uh, um, I think back in the day it was Mark Taylor, who's the Hobart coach. So Nice. And obviously you're a really talented player and in and, and a little bit, we're going to get into some of your accomplishments during uh, your time at Middlebury on the hockey, on the hockey rink. But did you ever have any aspirations of playing division one hockey of chasing a more direct route to maybe pros? Um, why did you decide to land on division three hockey? That, that's, that's a good question. Interesting one is I'll have a, probably a lengthy response to it, but the, the simple answer is yes. No, unquestionably, I wanted to play division one hockey. Uh, I actually had the opportunity to go to Dartmouth right out of 11th grade, which is the end of high school in Montreal. So we graduate early. Um, and there was a French Canadian guy that was captain at Dartmouth and he pulled me aside and said, listen, you're so young. Why would you come to college here? Uh, you have time, you'll have a lot of opportunities. And this coach is either going to stay here and you're going to win two games a year for your four years, or he's going to get fired and you won't be part of the next recruiting class. Take your time. And so I, I came home for that visit and sat down with my parents and said, I'm going to wait and uh, make sure I know what I'm doing. And then the following year was a combination of not having a great year, but on a really good hockey team uh, and also having a couple of injuries. So at the end of the year, uh, the, all the schools that were talking to me, Division One wise, wanted another year, and and Middlebury had been there, and, and I sat down with my parents, and they were like, "Listen, there's more to life than hockey. Middlebury's a great school, and we think you should 
get moving. And that was the decision I made. Nice. So you, you get to Middlebury as a, as a first year. And I want to first ask you just about the hockey team in general. Uh, what was it like going on to a college hockey team? Obviously, you grew up playing super competitive hockey. Um, you mentioned that you graduated in 11th grade, but you took that year, right, playing at a competitive level. What was it yep. like transitioning to the college level of hockey? What were the team dynamics like? And what was just college hockey like in general? Was it an easy transition for you? Well, it was easy in, in a sense that we had, I think, 13 freshmen in our class, uh, you know, give or take, because I'm not sure that everybody that started stayed. Uh, but it was a really, really young team. It wasn't like you were uh, one of, you know, a handful of freshmen trying to fit in with a group of older players. We had two seniors that were incredible guys and Mickey Kelly and Jerry Deneen, uh that made it such a kind of easy, welcoming environment. I think we only had two juniors on that team. Rad, Jim Quinn and Paul Hoff. So it was predominantly a, a freshman, sophomore team. So it was kind of like fitting in and, and all that part, like the non-athletic part of it was really, really easy. And, and uh, you know, we were, Middlebury hadn't been a great hockey team for a period of years. So there was, a, there was enough enthusiasm, I guess, from the older guys and from the coaches and then from us just knowing that even as a young group we were we were competing so you know it made the transition probably a lot easier than kids that came four years later when Middlebury had been winning a lot and you're trying to fight for a spot on the team right yeah you mentioned you know when you came in the team didn't necessarily have this record of excellence but you and, and your recruiting class really started to change that um, you guys improved each year your junior year you won the ECAC which I understand to be the conference before the NESCAC uh, existed yeah. and you went 22 three and one um, and, and you won the ECAC that year like I said so what was that season like what do you remember from that year well even the year before our sophomore year we lost in the championship game to AIC 7-6 so you know we had we thought we were good enough to win that year we lost um but i think the interesting part about winning it as a junior year it, w it wasn't just our freshman class there, there was the class above ours that was was a really good group and was one of bill's uh, beanie's recruiting classes as well so that was their final year uh it, it was it, it was great because we kind of did it as a large group of of call it 91 and 92 grads and uh, it was nice to kind of go out on that note. Uh, and, you know, we really, we were an upstart as a sophomore group, I think, where we were very, we were very talented, but we were still young. And we hadn't played in a lot of hard games and, and uh, we made it to the championship, maybe on enthusiasm. And, and then the second year, we were just a more mature group as a team and, and knew how to win tight games and uh, very committed to, doing it as a group and not any individual accolades. Right. Uh, and I understand that you played a huge role on the team for years there. You were a captain, an All-American, and you still hold the modern day record for assists with 140 and, and total points with 194. Uh, and for the record, a cool statistic that your assist total, 140, is 37 more than the nearest challenger. So obviously pretty dominant. Um, you know, players can credit, you know, their success to teammates and coaches, and I'm sure that plays a role. But um, outside of that, you know, what do you credit uh, your success to? Is it these roots in Montreal where there's this super um, competitive culture of hockey? Was it your work ethic? Kind of what sets you apart as a player? Well, I, I think if you're a guy who, who's, you know, I think in my senior year, I probably had three assists for every goal. Um, so I would have, you know what? 
Bill asked me this during the alumni uh, or during the uh, Hall of Fame induction weekend. We did a quick interview and maybe more than anything other than I was, I'm a very competitive guy and I want to win every game. Uh, I want to win every shift. Uh, I want my teammates to, to do that. And that certainly helps because I don't, you know, I never really took a shift off unless we were up by a lot. Um, but I think the other component of it probably was, and I learned, I, I didn't probably know it then, but I know it more now. It was, I probably recognized what I was really good at as a player and stuck to it instead of trying to be more, you know, I remember Bill used to pull me aside and say like, you got to shoot sometimes. You can't pass all the time. And I'd say to him, you know, if I shoot, I'm going to score one every 10 or 12 times. But when everybody thinks I'm going to shoot and I make the pass and it doesn't get there, we're like, oh, what a wasted opportunity. But the reality is if if I hit the guy's stick, it's usually an empty net because everybody's expecting the shot. So if it works three out of 10, we're up. Like we're scoring more than we would if I were shooting. So he kind of laughed and, and let it be. But I think in reality was understanding that I saw the game better and I could pass better and and then I use that. So I would draw people to me and distribute pucks. And if I played the game a different way or didn't understand my strengths, I probably wouldn't have had as much success. Right. Now I really like that philosophy. Uh, another question about the hockey team. Um, as you reflect on your four years, and obviously you've had a time to do that now, is there one memory that, that sticks out to you? Is it winning that ECAC championship or is there something else uh, that you still think about today from your time on the hockey team, whether it was a win or, or just a little, a little snapshot? To, for me, it was just the, the group of guys we had a, uh, and again, part of that uniqueness may have been that we had so many in, in really two classes, although we had guys that came after that were great too. So, you know, the, the kids that were juniors and sophomores when I was a senior, um, we just had a really unique character group of characters. We had some really different guys and, and, I always think that there were guys on that team that we probably wouldn't have spent a lot of time with if we didn't share this thing called hockey together. Uh, but because we did, we all became so close and, and uh, we had so much fun. Like just in the locker room before games, the banter or practices on the way to the dining hall after. So it was just a, uh, it wasn't just the on the ice experience to me that it really stuck out. It was just so much fun we had as a group. That's awesome. Yeah, and I know the the life of a student athlete is super busy, especially at a school like Middlebury. Uh, so you majored in econ. Um, just about that, what kind of drew you to that department, that field? In second, what was your experience like as an econ major at Middlebury, trying to balance, you know, your studies with hockey? Well, I probably could have done a better job balancing, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Looking back on it now, with three kids in college, I hope they're doing a better job on the balance side. Um, but you know, econ, I just I think I had this desire to, to at uh, some point in time venture out into the business world and, and uh, economics was, you know, when you're in a liberal arts college, you're not going to get a very focused or specific degree. And, and econ was probably the, the major that, that allowed it. And it was probably, it was intimidating at first, I, you know, as a kid that did a lot of schooling in French growing up to come to a school like Middlebury, I remember having a, my freshman writing class was was capitalism, capitalism, democracy, and freedom. With with uh, I can't remember the professor's name, but he was the economic advisor to Walter Mondale, and, and uh, it was intimidating because I'm used to writing papers in French, and we got to write a 25 page paper in English, and you know 
U.S. politics and whatever. So, um, but it was a great four years of learning. Right. And, and so you spent a lot of time in the rink, uh, a lot of time in the classroom as well. But were there any other activities or clubs that you enjoyed uh, at Middlebury? Kind of what were the, how else did you fill your day when you did find that spare hour or so? You know what, to, to be honest, like in the off season, just, just with friends, just enjoying Middlebury, enjoying Vermont, to be honest too, like, you know, when I'm driving back up the other day, you, every time you leave Vermont, you forget how beautiful it is. And I was always uh, reminded of, from the football friends that I had that Mickey Heineken would, when they were running out onto the field would yell only in Vermont guys, only in Vermont, enjoy the view. And, and so, you know, sometimes you go up to the falls and, and hang out and just do things that are unique to Vermont. Nice. Awesome. Well, Kent, thanks so much for uh, shining a light on your experience at Middlebury. Obviously, super, super successful. Uh, and you were inducted into the Middlebury Athletics Hall of Fame recently, uh, you know, just as a, a credit to all the work that you've done and, and the legacy you've left. I want to ask you about your time after Middlebury, your career, what you've, what you've gotten up to. But first, we're going to take a quick break. Haymaker Bun Company is a lovely cafe perched overlooking the Otter Creek. Come grab breakfast and lunch, coffee and beer, switch up your work environment, bump into friends, and get off campus at 7 Bakery Lane. Haymaker offers sweet and savory pastries, vegan and gluten-free items, and a locally sourced lunch menu. Check them out on Instagram for their daily menu changes at Haymaker Buns, or visit their website to place your order online. That's at www.haymakerbuns.com. They have inside and outdoor seating as well as curbside pickup. All right. Welcome back to the Seaver Scoop podcast. Kent, thanks again for telling us about your experience at Middlebury. Now I want to adventure into your time after Middlebury. I understand right after you graduated, uh, you went to Sweden to play a year of professional hockey in their top division. So how did that opportunity come about? Did those conversations start your, you know, your senior year or before that? No, they actually were, were really post senior year back home in Montreal, I, I was hoping to play. Um, I, I didn't have illusions of making a career as a professional hockey player, but you know, as we talked about at the beginning of the show, it was such a big part of my life that I wasn't quite ready to let it go. And I, you know, I probably hadn't given enough thought to it, but you know, for the time being, I was like, I want to go play for another year. And I wanted to, to go to Europe and not, you know, try to toil around in the uh, minor leagues in North America and wanted the experience. So uh, there was a player from UVM who's also from Montreal by the name of Ian Boyce that was playing in Sweden. And, and uh, Ian had come up to me and said, I'm not going back next year because we played in the summer together. And he said, I'm going to recommend you to the team uh, to, to, to replace me as an import player. And really it just kind of happened so quickly and next thing you know I was on a plane and heading overseas and and so you're a recent college grad and you're heading over to Sweden did you have any connections there or was it pretty isolating moving there you know in your early 20s yeah no I didn't I didn't uh I didn't know anybody I just hopped on a plane and and went although I do remember it was so funny I had a couple of friends that had been backpacking across Europe hanging out you know kind of that summer post-grad and they came to Sweden and, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to take these guys out for, for dinner. I'm, I'm making money playing professional hockey. And I think we went to Pizza Hut for a couple of pitchers of beer and a pizza. And, and it was like $180 back in the day. And we're like, oh, my God. And that was, uh, 
I, I realized how little money I was making given how expensive it was over there compared to uh, the U S and certainly compared to Vermont. Right. I, I heard on a previous podcast that you, uh, you recorded that you brought an LSAT book with you uh, to Sweden and you focused on studying kind of in, in your free hours of the day. Uh, could you talk about kind of why that was important to you and kind of what the goal of the studying was? Yeah. Again, I knew I wanted to stay in hockey and I knew I wasn't going to make a, a career as a professional hockey player. Certainly not, you know, the type of career that, that I would have opted for in, in, in terms of just continuing to play until I was in my early 30s without any savings. So, you know, it was I was thinking about other ways to stay in the sport. And you know, my brother was a. 21st overall pick to the Quebec Nordiques. And, and I had a lot of guys that I grew up playing with that were playing in the NHL. And I started to think about, you know, could I be an agent? What's involved in it? And talking to my brother's agent and other agents in the business and other friends who had agents. And, you know, I felt that probably a first step in that process was to get a law degree and, and be most equipped to deal with the, the things that you deal with in, in this line of work, at least from what I knew talking to these people. And so I brought the LSAT book and said, I'll start preparing while I'm over there. Right. And so after a year there, you, you moved back to the States to Boston college where, uh, you, you got your law degree. What was the experience like at Boston college in the city of Boston? Yeah. I mean, the law school was, was great. It, it, um, there were a lot of hockey guys there too. So it was kind of neat. There were a lot of former college players and we played on a co-ed law school league, which was a lot of fun. I lived with my brother, my second year, uh, well, he was under contract to the Bruins, but playing predominantly in, in Providence. In fact, a funny little anecdote that I had forgotten about until the other day. I'm at home studying and we're playing co-ed, you know, law league. So it's not like it's very competitive hockey. I, I haven't played in a couple of years. And he calls one day and says, get down to Providence. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, we got a bunch of guys sick, a bunch of guys sick. We don't even have enough players to field the team. You got to come play. And I'm like, right, I haven't like, got my heart rate above 120 in <laughs> two and a half years. I'm not coming to play in the American Hockey League. He was like, get down here. Uh, I didn't go. But uh, another player on the team, Teddy Crowley, who had played at Boston College, and his brother had played. His brother went down, scored a goal, got in a fight. And my brother was calling me after saying, you should have come. You, you, you're <laughs> stupid. Could have been, so, been you. Yeah. <laughs> right. Nice. And so I, I do want to flash forward um, a few decades. So you go to law school at Boston College um, and then years later, now you are a certified NHL PA player agent with decades of experience. Um, you're the managing director at Cortex Management, which was formally established in 2015. Uh, first, could you tell us a little bit about Cortex Management and what your duties are for the company? Yeah. So Cortex is, is really a product of, of uh, it's the majority owners are the Saputo family, which are the Saputos are one of the wealthiest families in Canada. You know, their primary business is the dairy business. And I think they're one of the largest dairy producers in the world. Um, and they decided that they wanted to get into the sports management, specifically hockey. Again, being in Montreal, that's with the Montreal Canadians around. That is uh, the, certainly the passion among a lot of people in the city. And, and uh, so they decided they wanted to do that. I had been working with a group that I own called M5 Sports, along with a business partner named Anton Thun. And we were approached about acquiring our business and, and rolling it up in, into what is Cortex and, and trying to do build something bigger 
and better with with the financial resources and and other resources that the Saputo family had available. There was also a, a gentleman named Mitch Garber, who was a highly successful entrepreneur and lawyer in Montreal. Um, so the two of them really kind of put the blueprint. They are two highly, highly successful business people saying, hey, we're going to lend our business expertise. We're going to lend our resources. We need your experience, your credibility in this industry to build it right. And uh, so that's how we started it. And, and Mitch had to leave. He's part of the ownership group in Seattle. Uh, so, you know, he departed a couple of years back, but uh, it's now been five years that I've been part of Cortex, five and change. And, you know, our goal was to build the most modern agency and certainly in the sport of hockey, uh, you know, so not just the traditional services of negotiating contracts and servicing hockey players from the, the sport specific model, but dealing with, you know, legal issues, cross-border issues, financial issues to concierge type services to, you know, so we, we've got a, a business that has a, the concierge businesses, again, our, our, the thought process is how, how do we create a set of services that make unique sense to athletes? And, you know, certainly athletes, what I learned a long time, I remember representing when I first started representing Vinny LeCavalier, his dad told me, Kent, Vinny's the busiest guy you've ever met who has nothing to do. And, and that's true. But I think not that Vinny's specific. I think that's probably true of a lot of, a lot of athletes. And I think that's in part because one, there's so much pressure in their sport that takes so much focus, mental focus and energy from them, not more so than the physical energy that when they get away from the rink, they don't necessarily want to have to deal with a lot of things. And quite frankly, I actually believe that they have to be so singularly focused to be able to perform at their peak. They shouldn't be great multitaskers. I don't think multitaskers are great professional athletes because they're more prone to being distracted instead of singularly focused. So as we set to build our, our this service platform, the, the thought process was, what areas do they need help? Some of it's professional, you know, whether, like I said, be legal advice or, or cross-border tax advice and all these types of things. But other parts of it are really, how can we facilitate their day-to-day -day lives? And, and how can we do it in a way that makes sense to them? So like our, we created this concierge business that, you know, does the basic stuff. You want tickets to a sporting event on, or, or to a concert on the road to, you know, you want to book vacations, all that, you know, oh, you want to buy some a car or watch, whatever. They take care of everything for you. But there's also an automotive and, and a aviation side to the business. So not that we encourage a lot of the hockey players unless they're high earners, but a lot of them end up flying private. So we have an aviation side to that. And then we have an automotive side, uh, which, you know, again, we're really fortunate because we have owners like the Saputo family that have the resources to do it, but we created a car club that the players have. So a lot of guys, one, we see a lot of young players, they buy cars and then they want to sell it a year later because they want the next car and they want the next car or they lease a car, but they don't have the patience to stay for three years and they're leased and they get nailed uh, returning cars early. So we now have a fleet of cars that guys can rent month to month um or take so a lot of guys don't even the more established guys that are kind of past the switch cars every week uh they may say i'm not going to ship my car from calgary to montreal i'm going to go take 
one, I'm going to take one of August lifestyles cars for two months in the summer and I don't have to buy insurance. It's a, it's a fleet of cars and they're generally, you know, exotic cars. It could be a, a Ferrari or a, you know, some kind of high, high end car that you couldn't otherwise have access to. So, you know, we built a different setup. Ultimately doesn't, it's not a substitute for the most critical part of what we do, which is still, you know, the business of hockey. Uh, but I think we're doing things different and uh, we're excited about the future. Right. It seems like a really multi-dimensional approach, a lot of moving pieces there. Cortex manages many high caliber hockey players, including Patrice Bergeron of the Bruins and Chris Letang of the Penguins. What's it like getting to work with some of the, the biggest names in hockey? Well, you have, you have to remember that in our sport, like the entree is usually when they're 14 or 15 years of age. So you kind of grow up with them. You don't meet them necessarily when they're stars. Uh, but it, it's exciting. It, it's exciting to work with them. It's really exciting, quite frankly, to see, you know, a lot of these guys play junior hockey in Canada. Really Patrice did and Chris did is the two examples that you, you mentioned. They're really bright guys. They are not worldly when they get to, to the business side, you know, as a teenager. I mean, I've got an 18-year-old and a 21-year-old, and I think back, it's given me a little perspective when I think like these guys came in at 18 years of age, a guy like Patrice moved to Boston, didn't speak a lot of English and, and he's living in, in, in a world with men. Some of the guys in his locker room have kids and, and have families and he's trying to figure out a way to stay alive and, and stay with the Bruins and at the same time, learn a language. And then all of a sudden he's getting paychecks that are, you know, what most the average person never ever sees in their lifetime. And they don't know what a stock is. They don't know what a bond is. They don't know what a public market is. They just haven't had that exposure. I'm not sure. I knew a heck of a lot at 18 going at Middlebury. So it, it's watching the growth of, of, of those players over, you know, like Patrice has played in the NHL for 18 years, but we've worked with them for over 20 years. And just to, to see him grow as a in, into a man, a father, an athlete, and probably one of the most respected professional athletes in all of sport. Um, so we got a front row seat and that's, that's really a great thing. It's not the, the hockey piece of it. It's the, the totality of it all. Right. Yeah. My just follow-up question of that would be kind of, is there one, you know, what's one thing about being an agent that you love? What's like one of your favorite parts about the job, but then on the flip side, is there something about the job uh, that you don't love so much? So maybe a, a pro and a con. So I mean, the pro I, I was probably part of what I just touched on. It, it's being a part of that growth and, and contributing to helping them in whatever way that is, you know, along the way in our business, we wear a lot of hats in Patrice's case. Uh, at one point in his career, he had, you know, two very severe injuries that involved his head and, and it was rolling up our, our sleeves and, trying to understand what that meant short-term, long-term, and, and try to put him in a position to make decisions about his future. Like Chris Letang had a stroke. Uh, he's had micro bleeds in his brain. He, he's had so many things. So, you know, on one end we wear the hat of a dog, you know, not a doctor, but somebody who's the go-between to try to understand the issue, the medical issues and, and then communicate those issues and make sure the athletes making the right decision for their long-term health. Uh, and then again, like, you know, could be thereafter helping them 
grow into these guys become pretty good business people and, and they're bright and the only thing they lack is a formal education. So it, that part of it's so rewarding to watch. Um, but at the end of the day, I really believe our business should be renamed, not sports management, but crisis management. And it's our ability to help in whatever point in time an athlete has a crisis in whatever area that is. And uh, hopefully we, we intervene and, and assist and help them, continue along the path to, uh, to success for a career. And then the flip is what we would deem a crisis isn't always what a player, his wife or his parents think is a crisis. So, you know, there's so much invested, uh, especially with parents with young players that, um, we often take phone calls. We probably shouldn't have to take, but, it's all part and parcel of what we do. Right. Yeah. I think you summed it up well. And you said you wear many hats. <laughs> it seems like, uh, the, the job is a lot more nuanced than people might imagine. Uh, thanks so much, Kent, for, for shedding some light on your time sure. as an NHL agent. Uh, just a few more questions for you, but before we get there, we're going to take a quick break. Look no further than the Middlebury shop, formerly fourth and goal sports for all your Middlebury college clothing, gifts, and gear. They have all the Panther team gear imaginable. Middlebury team sweatshirts, t-shirts, hats, and more by the brands you love, including Nike, Under Armour, and Carhartt. Find them in downtown Middlebury or online at middlebury.shop.com. That's middlebury.shop.com. Alrighty, I'm back with Kent Hughes for just a few more questions about his experience uh, after Middlebury, uh, where he became a NHL agent. Uh, now, Ken, I understand that you've also spent some time coaching hockey. Uh, what sort of experiences have you had coaching and kind of what draws you to that side of the sport? So I, I coached my two boys and my daughter, for that matter, um, all the way through hockey. And I was told I'm not allowed to coach any other sport <laughs> by them because I didn't know anything about it. Um, so I, I that's kind of a unique experience that you're sharing something that you love with, with your kids and, and uh, you have a particular expertise, both because you played, but because I've lived in the sport, and, you know, I eat, sleep and breathe it. So I'm able to kind of share the passion, but also help them along from a coaching perspective. But we also made, you know, it's not just my own. I, I've met a lot of kids and I coached a lot of them on the same team from the time they were seven or eight till the time they were 18 and those kids still text and check in. So, and, and we made a lot of friends, their fathers, mothers, their, their families have become good friends. So really, really neat experience. And, and actually professionally, it probably made me better, uh, especially when we deal with younger families, because I think having the perspective, both, you know, living through it as a parent, instead of just as an agent, gave me a better perspective when I was dealing with parents and today when I deal with parents and I stay coaching. The other part of it is I, I, I love the sport and I like to compete and I like having a stake in the outcome. And, and so I, I still to this day coach a, a U16 team only, you know, they, these kids go to prep school. We coach them in the fall, then they go to prep school and, you know, like this particular team won the state championship. So we'll head to nationals in Michigan in the spring. Nice. And you, you alluded to your two sons who you've coached, uh, Riley and Jack, who both play at Northeastern. Riley is a junior there and the assistant uh, captain for the team, and Jack's a freshman. 
Uh, also cool to note is that Riley was a seventh round draft choice of the New York Rangers in 2018, and Jack has experience playing with the uh, U.S. youth national teams. Now, my first question is, you know, do you credit yourself for their success? Did they get all their skills from their dad? <laughs> no, they would, <laughs> they would say absolutely not. Um, right. No matter what you are, I, I think there, there's to get to the division one college level in this day and age, there have to, there have to have been people that helped you along the way. Um, so if, if it weren't me, it would have been another coach. Uh, I think where I probably helped them a little bit more was just providing some perspective from having worked with many kids when they were their age and, 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 and helping them to uh, kind of have a longer term view. I think today, a lot of people get caught up and, you know, all of a sudden there are people are committing to, to division one colleges and they're playing at the same age level as them. And some of their teammates are scratching their heads and, you know, really kept them focused on, you know, don't worry about everything else. Shut out the noise. There's no substitute for, for getting better and, and helping them understand how to get better. Right. Yeah. And just to wrap up, uh, you know, you, you share this passion of hockey with your two sons and you mentioned your daughter played as well. Uh, it's obviously played a big role in your life from, you know, your time growing up in Montreal to your time at Middlebury to after Middlebury. So just in general, you know, why is hockey so important to you? What has it meant to you over all these years? Kind of what has it given to you uh, in, in this life? Well, again, I, it, it was important from the beginning. It was just a passion. It was just something I loved. I and mean, everybody has something. I, I've been fortunate enough to take something that's my passion and make it my career. Not everybody has that opportunity. What has it meant? It just become. It's just wrapped up in what my life is. So you know, there's so many friends that that I've made that you know maybe without hockey I never met them. Um, there's so many people that I've met or dealt with professionally that I wouldn't have. So hockey has really been an instrument in some sense to, to uh, all the people that are, you know, part of my life and important friendships and whatnot. And, and I think the other piece of it is it just, I'm fortunate enough because of this to, I get out of bed in the morning, excited 30 years later. And my job isn't uh, something I do. It's something I want to do. Awesome. Well, Kent, thank you so much for joining the Seaver Scoop podcast. You bet. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody. You have heard the scoop from Kent Hughes, a Middlebury Athletics Hall of Famer and current NHL agent. As always, thank you so much for supporting the Seaver Scoop podcast. It's been a great fall, and I can't wait to continue posting episodes when the Middlebury Campus newspaper returns to print in January 2022. So I guess I will see you next year. Till then, stay well and go Panthers.